Hey, Random Chatter listeners. Welcome to the second episode of Random Chatter Interviews. In this episode, I sit down with podcasting pro Jovial J. He talks about his college business and movie effects, his fandoms, and his extensive collections, as well as his really interesting Marvel mapping project. He also teases a new podcast he's working on. Enjoy episode two of Random Chatter Interviews with Jovial J. Shepard. All right, Jovial J. Shepard. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Good to have you. Uh, I think this will be a good time. You uh, you mentioned you listened to uh, our very first episode of Random Chatter Interviews with Chris. Yeah, the bar is set very high. <laughs> very high. He didn't scare you off at all? No, Chris doesn't scare me. No, I'm, I'm hoping we don't lose listeners. No, Chris, Chris, is, Chris is good. Chris is good. So, Jay, um, you keep uh, you keep pretty busy with a variety of podcasts. So our, our listeners here might know you from a, a different range of things. Uh, you are a co-host on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Case Files mm-hmm. podcast, which I listened to, and, and uh, it, it was great. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit humbled. You guys had me join you for the uh, season finale this last season. We love getting uh, guest hosts on for like premieres or season finales from the network. Uh, we've had uh, Lou on a couple times, and uh, it's cool just to add an extra person with other ideas in it. You know, it's just it, it kind of expands our thought process. So it was great that you were able to come on for that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, let's see. You also do Scarlet Velocity, which is your Flash show, correct? Correct. Uh, you have Green Justice, which is your Green Arrow show. Yes. And then uh, outside of the Random Chatter Network, uh, with the Force.net, you do Jedi Journals. That is correct. Yep. Star Wars Literature Pod, longest uh, running Star Wars Literature Podcast in the galaxy. In the galaxy. That's uh, how, 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 how long has that been going for? Um, it's been going, uh, we've been doing it for seven years now. Yeah, just, it'll, I think it'll be seven years at the end of, in December, basically. Great. That's outstanding. Yeah, and it's it's monthly uh, plus occasional you know uh, specials or things like that. So when you look at the volume of shows that we've put out, it's not that many. Uh, though sometimes you know it, we we do try to keep it to around an hour, but you know sometimes it runs ninety minutes or a little bit longer uh, because we're doing book reviews. But um, when you look at like the random chatter shows that I've done, because those are based on weekly TV series and they come out. Mm-hmm. Pretty much weekly. Um, I think last time I checked, we had done like over 350 shows uh, between the three that you mentioned. Plus, also there was uh, the uh, retired uh, Agent Carter case files, yes, uh, which was another uh, ancillary to to Shield. And uh, Josh and I may have another one coming here later in uh, in the summer. So uh, just stay tuned for more information on Random Chatter about that. Absolutely, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Is it, so did I catch all of them, all your current shows? You have four of them? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'd love to do more, um, but uh, between uh, between the prep time that it takes for this and uh, then, you know, the actual time it takes to record and the time it takes to produce and edit, uh, it time runs out pretty quickly and, you know, you have to be able to have people to sit on the other side. And I'm sure, actually, my wife would not like me to take on take on more stuff <laughs> i've always got weird little side projects going and stuff like that anyway so that's absolutely force plenty that's about the the max yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm learning real quick how much uh, you know how, how much time it, it takes up 
I'm a regular now on Echo Base, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I help those guys with a little bit of prep, and then we do the show. Unfortunately, I don't do any of the post-production in that right now. Lou, Lou and Chris handle that. But Chris showed me a lot of the ropes uh, in, in doing the first interview podcast. He was all for uh, us doing this. It's, uh, you know, said it would be a lot of fun. He definitely enjoyed the show. And he said, hey, now that you're doing it, you're going to learn all this post-production stuff. <laughs> so, Well, it does get easier. And, uh, of course, it's always easy when you can just show up and not have to worry sure. about anything. Else, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely gets easier. Um, and, you know, my post-production uh, process is down to where pretty much if we needed to, I could release a show within an hour of us recording something for the That's not bad. So that's not bad. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. You're, you're definitely a pro. You are one of the folks who, uh, you know, I, I know here and there, I've asked you a couple questions about podcasting things. Cause I, I know you are one of the, uh, one of the senior podcasters in the group. And obviously yeah. I am a stone cold newbie. <laughs> I am just figuring out, I'm just scratching the surface of a lot of this stuff. So, it, it's it's uh, and it's awesome that you share your experience and 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 uh, in, in how you have done things. So oh, yeah. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah. So very similar uh, to Chris's, we're going to start all the way back in the beginning. Uh, you have a little bit more beginning than than Chris did. <laughs> just a skosh. Not an age joke. Just a you know factual observation. Fact, right. In fact, I think you even have a couple years on me. So we'll go back in time a bit here. Uh, where was it that uh, Jovial Jay was born? Well, I was born a poor black child in the uh, rural area of Los Angeles. Oh, okay. That's okay. I remember you saying that you uh, that you were born in the L.A. area. Yeah, and um, actually... Yeah, I was born in L.A., but I grew up in the Valley, so it's taken me a long time to, like, you know, get rid of my accent, um, <laughs> you know, because it was, like, a big deal in the 70s and the 80s. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how how long were you out there in the L.A. area? Um, through college, um, I, I had no, I had no uh, compunction about moving at, ever. It was like, yeah, you know, this is L.A., this is cool. I mean, it's... You know, it was just, it was my experience and it was very, um, small, uh, comparatively. <clears throat> but, you know, LA was such a huge area. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, there's, I mean, and there's everything to do out there. And then, um, I met my wife in college and we got married and she wanted to continue her PhD program, which had to happen on a coast, uh, due to the, uh, work that she was doing. And it didn't work out on the West Coast. So we moved to the East Coast. And, uh, so I'm, I'm like, wow, it's pretty cool out here too. Look at all this. There's a whole other side of the country. <laughs> it, it, it had to happen on a coast. Is she like a George Costanza? Is she a marine biologist? She is a marine biologist. Oh, wow. Look at that. We're probably way science. better than George because George wasn't a real marine biologist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, a marine and environmental sciences. Uh, so she got her, uh, her uh, master's and in that. So actually a master's degree, not a certificate. Uh, so, you know, she's full-fledged doctor. Cool. Very good. So what was your, 
What was your experience growing up out in the metropolis of Los Angeles? Um, the Gotham of the West. I, uh, yeah, it's a, more like a, a sin palace, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> um, well, gee, um, I, I don't remember a lot. I mean, I, so I moved when we were seven, when I was seven, uh, from the valley down to, uh, uh, more Southern California, uh, Oceanside area, uh, near, mm-hmm. uh, Long Beach, Huntington yep. Beach, Long Beach area. And, um, that was, you know, at that point I remember, that's when I start remembering like stuff because, uh, we would drive down there. I remember, uh, getting my first comic book, uh, my mom bought for me at like a 7-Eleven, uh, when they had the superhero Slurpee cups. Cool. Um, and it was only a few short months after that, that, uh, um, my parents took me to see Star Wars. So that pretty much consumed my life with my friends. Uh, if we weren't playing with the, uh, with the toys, um, Riding our bikes around, uh, pretending to be, uh, Ponch and John from Chips. Um, <laughs> we were making, um. Which you realize no one on the East Coast actually pretended to be Ponch or John. <laughs> That's like, we watched Chips, but it was like, oh, those silly LA people. It, yeah. It was, it was, it was, I mean, it's, it was a total LA vibe. I mean, you, you get on your Huffy or your Schwinn and, you know, you pretend. <laughs> And then uh, my next door neighbor was Filipino, so of course you know he always had to be Ponch, uh, <laughs> blonde kid. So of course I got to be John. Uh, but if we weren't doing that, we were making uh, my friends and I were making uh, Super Eight special effects films, uh, stop motion with Legos or clay, doing weird stuff. You know where you uh, you stand still and you take a frame and then you move a little bit and you take another frame, so it looks like yeah. you're just kind of scooting around magically and and. Uh, so I was doing lots of uh, lots of creative stuff like that as a as a youth, trying to stay out of uh, other trouble. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. What, what did your parents do? Um, my dad, my mom was a homemaker, uh, so she would volunteer at the elementary schools and always be the chaperone for events. So mm-hmm. uh, people always, you know, kind of look down on me uh, for that for that because <laughs> my mom was always tagging along and I'm like, ah, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, my dad was a, um, a geophysicist and worked for, um, Texaco, which I don't know if there are a few Texaco stations left and I believe the company still exists, but not like it did in the, um, not like it did in the seventies and the eighties. So, yeah. um, and, uh, so he was, we had moved to Southern California, so he was commuting up into Los Angeles to their uh, offices up in uh, downtown. So it's only, you know, like a 30-mile commute, but when you look at it with traffic, you know, he was commuting at least an hour to an hour and a half one way daily um, so that I could go to better schools and we could have a, a nicer home and a nicer area and stuff like that. So wow, I thought that nice. was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have siblings? I do not. Um, I had, uh, plenty of friends, but I think my uh, parents, uh, had me and were like, no, screw this. We're, we're done. <laughs> this, this one's enough. Yeah. Yeah. This is a handful of an, of enough of a, of a person to, uh, <laughs> take care of. So, um, I had cousins and stuff that, uh, uh, the, I would hang out with and stuff, but, uh, yeah, no, no other, uh, brothers, sisters or anything like that. 
what exactly was wrong with your parents that they named you Jovial? <laughs> well, I don't know that they necessarily <laughs> named me that, but it um, it uh, it sort of just came out later. But uh, yeah, I was always uh, I was always pretty pretty rambunctious. Um, you know those uh, the there those there those talks where you know people get nicknames in college or in high school or things like that, you know, or, or in the military, um, you know, based on their personality and stuff. And the thing I had always heard was that you can never give yourself a nickname because it's never going to stick because like, you know, you want to call yourself, you know, butch, but people look at you and go, you're not butch. I'm not, I'm not going to call you that. That's stupid. Right. Right. Jovial is like, (laughs) I picked that for myself when I started uh, working on the online version of Jedi journals and um, because I wanted to do alliteration uh, very much like because uh, the Jedi journal started out just as a comic book uh, based uh, website at uh, well, on my own. And then uh, shortly after that on rebelscum.com. And sure. so I called it, you know, jovial J's Jedi journals and just very alliterative, very much like Stan Lee would do in a, in the comics uh, that I grew up reading and stuff like that. And it kind of stuck, and and I mean it's it's very applicable to, I think my personality, and and you know, people didn't dismiss it, so it seemed to you know work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, that's great. What uh, so you mentioned as a kid, you were doing kind of like some fun film stuff uh, with some of your friends and. You picked up your first comic book. You saw your first Star Wars movie. What what, what else happened with this? Where else did, did some of this interest go? Did you, when you got into college, were you still doing some of this stuff? What was what were your interests there? Well, um, because you know, through all through like school, um, I was being asked, you know, like, what do you want to do for? What do you want to go to college for? I'm like, I don't know, like. There wasn't any one subject in high school that really appealed to me, and I kind of decided, uh, growing up in Southern California and being a huge uh, film fan, uh, just any kind of films, but uh, special effects uh, primarily, uh, you know, had been my interest. Star Wars, of course, um, you know, changed an entire generation uh, mm-hmm. during the uh, late 70s and the 80s there. So I decided I wanted to go to school for film. Uh, so, of course, where do you go when you're in Southern California? Uh, you go to USC, and uh, so I was actually in school for film, and um, I was trying to get into the production program, which is a really, really hard program to get into, and um, I, en- I ended up not being accepted to that, but I did get into the uh, sister program, which is uh, film uh, criticism, uh, and uh, it's called critical studies, and so I got my degree in, in basically film commentary and criticism, uh, hmm. so I, I didn't get as much hands-on filmmaking work as people going down the other path. But um, a group of friends, uh, two, two other guys and myself, started a special effects company in college to uh, provide a service to student filmmakers for free. Basically, we'd get the experience of working on doing special effects, uh, practical effects for the most part, because... Um, you know, uh, we weren't, uh, you know, doing blue screen. Definitely. There was no CGI and stuff at that right. point. The, uh, the computer labs at SC were just barely coming online. In fact, the, um, one of the directors of a film that we worked on, uh, went on to direct finding Dory and, no kidding. um, 
Yeah, uh, Lee Unkrich, and uh, he um, he was doing traditional film, but was also working in their computer lab, which is basically where the founding fathers of Pixar worked um, yeah. in the in the late '80s and early '90s. So um, we created this uh, this uh, special effects group called Optrix, and uh, I was doing uh, a lot of the design work, and I did logo work, and and I found that I had a lot of because um, uh, I used to draw a lot as a kid as well. So I did a lot of the um, you know the 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 drawings and the storyboards and stuff for us. I came up with our logo, and uh, you know we had business cards and everything, and we just decided to make this service for, for students because the year before we started the, the group, um, we had heard about some students injuring themselves, uh, doing what you wouldn't <laughs> consider a special effect, but basically <laughs> film is, yeah, film is an illusion. Um, mm-hmm. and it is, they forget. No, no, no. Point. I just saw wonder woman and it was real. I I know it appears real to you, but they didn't actually go back and shoot it in 1914. Oh. So, oh. but for example, like there was a student, he wanted to get the effect of a knife being thrown at the camera lens. Oh, no. So, of course, what's the best way to do that, of course, is to throw a knife at the camera lens. And oh, no. <laughs> it, uh, they were smart enough because the camera's a rental from the school. You don't want to damage that. So they put, um, you know, some kind of plexiglass or something in front of it. Well, when the knife hit that, it it bounced off and it actually impaled itself in the director's arm. (laughs) Severed a nerve. Um, Oh, no. He had lost partial mobility. And so we'd heard about stuff like that. So we would, free of charge, we would review students' scripts and make recommendations. If they wanted to use us, fine. If they didn't want to use us, please use our recommendations. Like um, they were going to hire a stunt guy for this one set uh, where they were hanging a guy upside down. Um, it was the mob was torturing somebody. And they set up cinder blocks, and the mob was going to be swinging the guy at the cinder blocks. But they were hiring a stunt man, so he knows how to rig himself. And, well, what about the cinder blocks? It's like, well, he's a stunt man. He can, like, pull himself up and over those. It's like, yes, but what happens when he gets tired and he accidentally hits himself? So our first job was we built, I think, five or six foam cinder blocks. Yeah. And... um you know, are carrying these around campus, making them look like they're really heavy. And, uh, <laughs> and then you start juggling them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they do fun stuff like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, we got involved with a number of things, and, and we just had the uh, the productions pay the cost of whatever it costs to build uh, the stuff. And we would we had a guy that was specialized in makeup. We had a guy that specialized in uh, kind of production management. So he took care of... Um, keeping things on schedule and, and, and planning with the, the directors. Uh, I did a lot of design work. Um, and we had another guy that had a background in, um, uh, knowing how pyrotechnics worked, even though we couldn't use them. So we had to come up with some alternate ways to do things with air mortars, uh, blowing dirt up and using flash bulbs to make it, to simulate, uh, gunfire and stuff like that, which on student films works, works really well. So, Wow. We, had a, we had a nice little crew and, uh, and got a lot of work, and I think everybody else is still working in film in some fashion. <laughs> wow, that's Not really me. cool. I'm Not you. East Coast. <laughs> you moved to the East Coast where there's, uh, well, I mean, the, the, the filming industry has started to slowly take off in certain pockets out here. Oh, yeah, but, there's, a, uh, there's a lot of film going on here in Baltimore. Um, 
House of Cards, Veep, uh, The Wire was shot here. Um, mm. There's a lot. Uh, they've shot parts of um, some of the Marvel films here in Baltimore. Um, uh, one of the Die Hard films was shot in Baltimore. Uh, just Baltimore stands in for D.C. a lot uh, just because of its proximity, but also, you know, there's a similar architecture that they can use. Sure. So oh, I could see. get back into it if I wanted to, but I'm kind of set in my in my path for now because hopefully I just want to retire soon now. <laughs> That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> That's now the goal. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how priorities change the older you get. Yeah, yeah. I just have to keep working at a place that I can put my kids through college, and then then that's it. <laughs> yep, yep. So I well, so I was going to ask. So you you have a family. You're you're married. How many kids do you have? Uh, I got two boys. Okay. Who are uh, almost uh, almost college age and college age right now. So we are we are at the uh, close to the end of the journey here, which is uh, pleasantly so surprising and uh, exciting and. A little disappointing, but uh, it's uh, it's 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 been a long, hard, fun road. So I'm glad we're we're here. Sure, sure. Well, you, it's it's very apparent that you know in our in our Slack channel, and for those of you who are listening, just a dollar a month donation to Patreon to Random Chatter gets you into our Slack channel. You get to interact with hosts and staff of, of the network, along with other fans. A uh, lot of fun. Jay is a pretty regular presence in Slack. Uh, he gives a lot of uh, fatherly advice and uh, <laughs> some really bad dad jokes. Yeah, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> you, you are also very often, Jay, a trove of information. I, I am a trove. Uh, I have a very, um, I, I think I'm either a, a very, uh, what would you call it, like a low functioning autistic or a uh, high functioning ADHD <laughs> personality or something like that. I just have, no, I got tons of pop culture stuff. I mean, I'm, I've been around for a long time, but, uh, just, you know, I've, I, before the internet. And I, I think it's funny when, when Chris on, on his is like, you know, before Facebook, there was MySpace, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, before the internet, yes. there were, uh, trivia books and, books of you know reference books and i would just pour through these things i still have one that's up on my shelf it's like the it's literally the history of television up to whenever it was published in like the early 90s and i just remember pouring through that because i had no way to uh, no other way to search for stuff but i remembered shows i watched as a kid that we didn't have you know dvds and vcrs and stuff and they of course they didn't put these old tv shows on any kind of medium, you know, because they only lasted maybe half a season. So it's like, all right, I kind of remember this. And so I would like flip through and it was all alphabetical. And I'm like, all right, well, I, it would be either a Saturday morning show and I'd look at like just dozens and dozens of things. But I learned a lot while I was reading, um, you know, stuff like that uh, mm-hmm. to uh, fill my head with all sorts of stuff. And it just kind of sticks. Yeah. Well, see, you remember, like me, where every household had a set of encyclopedias. Mm -hmm. There were people that went door-to-door in neighborhoods selling encyclopedias. Oh, yeah. That was was a big thing. Knockoff one. Yeah, we had – you know, we didn't have the Encyclopedia Britannica. We had, like, the Encyclopedia Americana, and it kind of – when I was in high school in the mid-'80s, 
you know, the encyclopedia kind of stopped at like 74 or something like that. So, you know, there have been quite a few advances in that decade, like space travel, <laughs> more space travel. Um, like it barely covered the fact that we landed on the moon, I think, uh, these encyclopedias. So it was, it was tough, but yeah, there's, you know, it was, our house was always, always had lots of reference material, National Geographic's, uh, Time Life books. Those were a big thing back then. Um, you know, I could find out about any continent and any animal I wanted to by going to the different, uh, Time Life hardcover book and reading about, you know, pythons or polar bears or penguins. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I believe it. So certainly with your, your mom having a lot of involvement with the school and with your dad being a, a scientist, uh, there was kind of a lot of, lot of encouragement of this absorption of knowledge. Um, and I'm sure they got very disappointed when you were interested in cinema. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad really had pushed for me because, like I said, I, I, I used to draw a lot as well. And um, – he was always pushing for me to like uh, create greeting cards because um, I oh, wow. as a as a teenager I didn't have a lot of money. <clears throat> I mean I had a job, but I would draw my own birthday cards for the relatives, for sure. family and relatives and stuff like that. And I'd make Christmas cards for myself. Like once I got into college, I would make my own Christmas cards. Um, again, kind of before the advent of. Uh, the home computer. I mean, the, we did have personal computers, but not the uh, the graphically easy kind of things that you did once, like the the Macs started coming out in in um, the mid '80s there, and especially not like today, where you can just kind of you know make your own greeting cards and stuff. So, and I right. would make like a, I made a calendar one year with um, with uh, you know 12 months of different cartoon drawings and stuff on it. Oh, cool. All sorts of stuff like that. So he was really pushing for me to do that, and I was just like, that's not really what I'm interested in, but <laughs> thanks for encouraging me at least, you know. So it's, yeah. They, they, they always encouraged me, um, you know, to my potential, uh, even though in high school I, and probably in college, I don't know that I ever really, uh, achieved that full potential with, uh, with my grades and stuff like that. I was just, I think I was bored most of the time, probably, uh, that I, I don't know that I ever really was challenged. And, and, um, so I, you know, I just kind of, I skated through a lot of stuff and there were certain, uh, classes that interested me and I, I really excelled and did fun stuff with those and other classes like, like English. It's just like, I'll get to see, you know, whatever. <laughs> I can kind of read the book, you know, but the teachers just didn't make it interesting enough, uh, to, you know, engage me. So, yeah. Well, you you have this very interesting personality where you are very analytical, yet you are also very creative. And those are usually things that for most people are kind of diametrically opposed. But for you, what I've seen, I mean, and just in our interactions, I mean, we we met at Celebration uh, for the first time. So we hung out for a couple of days. And we've had otherwise really just some interactions and podcasting and Slack and that kind of stuff. But I've listened to a lot of your your stuff. And, yeah, you have this really interesting amalgamation of, again, what people would think are very disparate uh, personality types. And it seems it comes together very well for you. Yeah, well, and it makes it – because I like being more creative – 
but I do have, you know, like you said, I do have this good analytical uh, bent and stuff. So it makes it kind of weird when I'm trying to find jobs because, like, um, I had, uh, after I'd moved out here uh, to the East Coast and, and you know, kind of decided that, um, well, I just graduated college, so it's like, but I wasn't really doing film stuff out there. I was actually doing some um, pre-press work uh, <laughs> for um, for a publisher, and I decided, well, then since that's what I've got some experience in, I kind of did some of that out here, and then I got more into doing database development, which was cool because it allowed me to use the uh, like the analytical part, but also a lot of creativity and and designing interfaces. So, because I was kind of a one stop shop, I would do the front end and the back end. Sure. And um, I uh, I went to the the job I'm currently at, looking to work more in their um, development area. Uh, with um, uh, designing interfaces and stuff like that because uh, one of my previous co-workers had, had gone over to this company and they looked at me and they said, wow, we see you got a lot of uh, program management skills from the, the tech company you were working at because I, I managed all my projects and would interact with the clients and had good rapport and stuff there. So they were like, really, we'd rather have you fill in over here. And I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, you know, I think it paid a little bit more and People in development keep coming over and going, you can still come over and work with us if you want. I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't like a lot of people over in your department. <laughs> well, it's, it's nice to be appreciated for your skill sets and, and what you bring to the table. That's yeah. that's always great. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird – like you said, it's kind of a weird amalgam, but uh, it uh, – I, I, I still do a little – I don't do as much creative stuff in my day-to-day job, which is why I think I'm doing – all the podcasts and stuff mm-hmm. in my in my spare time, quote unquote free time, um, just because um, you know that that allows me to kind of get that out of my system. Sure, sure. I, well, and I think I told you before um, when you had me when you asked me to be on case files for the Agents of Shield uh, season finale. Mm-hmm. I was, I'll tell you, I was intimidated by you guys because you and Josh bring this depth of analysis of the show and different thoughts and concepts and perspectives of, of things that I watch the show and yeah, I think about some <laughs> things with the show. I enjoy it. And then. I, then I like a few days later, I listened to your show and I'm like, oh, my gosh, how did I miss that connection? Or why didn't I think of that? Or I, the stuff you guys would come up with that you do come up with to me is like mind blowing. Well, Just some of the different things. See, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I, I really enjoy watching these shows and. I enjoyed, it started out with Arrow, and I enjoyed watching that so much. And I'm like, boy, it seems like there's a lot of stuff to talk about here. And I would would be talking with Josh, and I'm like, we really should just like, you know, do a podcast on this because like we can get into more depth. But also, when you realize that, you know, like there are shows that I watch that obviously that I don't podcast about, and the same kind of thing. It's like I watch it, I kind of don't watch it. Uh, you know, I'm I'm there, I'm not there. But when you know you've got to be talking about this. Uh, in like a day or two, you really pay attention and, you know, you're trying to find stuff to talk about, but, uh, hopefully you seeing behind the curtain here realizes it's not, you know, it's not like <laughs> smoke and mirrors. It's just, it's just some deep thought. 
Yeah, just some hard work. <laughs> yeah, just some, no, no big deal. No big deal. What, what's the uh, – how far back to you do you and Josh go? When did you guys meet? How did this whole podcasting thing happen for you guys? Man, I want to say – I think it was 2010. Um, so really we haven't known each other that long. But, man, we are brothers from another mother because um, we – I mean – I can be, I can come up with something that, you know, from my past, <clears throat> from my experience, and it, the same thing occurred to him. I mean, we both <laughs> uh, were, you know, about the same age when we saw Star Wars. We were both into the same things as kids. Um, it, maybe not, uh, I don't know how much, uh, like, if he was really into making films, but I know he watches films and TV <clears throat> and has this depth of pop culture. But um, <clears throat> I'd gotten started with, uh, um, rebelscum.com and my Jedi Journals website back in, uh, I think it was 2004. I finally, uh, after being online for, you know, close to half a decade or something like that, I realized I was looking at a lot of stuff and I wanted to give back. So I, um, I started my own website. Uh, they offered me to join them. So I got involved with Rebel Scum and the Force.net, which are um, owned by the same uh, person, Philip Wise. Mm-hmm. And, in 2006, um, the guy that runs the Force.net, Dustin, uh, put out a feeler for um, podcasters to come and pick up. We kind of had a little uh, TFN podcast going for a little bit. It was it was kind of like what Chris had described on on his episode, where it was just like little 15 or 20 minute sound bites, a little bit of news and stuff, but it wasn't anything like what we would consider a podcast now. And um, we got these two guys, Jason and, and Pete, uh, to come on, and we loved what their stuff was. So I was kind of, because I had been involved with film and audio production to some extent, and I had been involved with this other TFN podcast, um, I was kind of the go-to guy to help them um, understand how the network was going to work and how our, you know, how our website worked and just kind of be there to help them get interviews set up and everything like that. So, and I would be on the air occasionally with them. And, uh, then, uh, Jimmy Mack came on at one point and they had a big fan event, uh, for, um, uh, official picks in Dallas in 2010 called fan days. And it was, uh, they do fan days events with the Dallas comic con, um, for a number of different, Franchises. Sometimes it's just sci-fi or horror, but they did an entirely Star Wars one, and the guys um, really, really wanted to plug this, and so they hyped it up for probably six months on their show, and a lot of the regular listeners who um, had been on the forums, the um, the Rebel Scum and Facebook forums and stuff like that, um, were going to come out to the show, and being part of the network, I went out there, and Josh was a guy that had I had known from the the forums and just from an online uh, standpoint, he would submit artwork that he was doing when he's listened to the show and just was he was one of the early adopters of you know a really big forecast fan yep. and so um, I wanted to hang out with him and I think uh, um, I, yeah actually we uh, I needed a roommate for the hotel we were staying in. So I had, I just said, Hey, you seem like a pretty decent guy. I, of course, I've never met this guy, but just based on his online personality and, and what I had seen, I thought that, you know, okay, this is probably a safe bet. 
And so I asked him to room with me, and I just remember, like, one of the first nights, like, we turned out the lights, and we were just chatting about something, and he had the weirdest reaction because he said, as soon as the lights went out, and he couldn't see me anymore, but he could just hear my voice, he's like, it's like he, he would stop and... And I'd ask him a question, but he wouldn't respond right away because he would think he was listening to a podcast. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so we started we started uh, talking and hanging out a lot more, and um, we'd see each other at uh, the various conventions. Um, and uh, just like I said, when uh, we were uh, watching Arrow, and I said, "Hey, you know, I was looking for kind of another." Uh, outlet and i saw that you know cw was starting this this really cool arrow podcast which i didn't feel was getting the the buzz that it needed and i really wanted to talk with more people about it because it it kind of seemed to come out of nowhere and it you know there wasn't a lot of discussion online and stuff that i could find Mm -hmm. Um, so i wanted to kind of fill that gap and at the time uh the podcast on random chatter had kind of petered down because the uh, the hosts from Random Chatter had moved over and were now working on the Forcecast. Right. Um, so I made a deal and said, hey, I can keep the network going here, and I've got an idea for this one show. And then w- at that point, as we started that, we also kind of knew Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was, was coming. And so I was kind of thinking, that is really, really what I want to talk about. I, Arrow is cool, but Marvel is like, where it's at with the Marvel movies and everything like that. And absolutely. So then I said, Hey, you got time to do that? And he's like, uh, sure. And then flash came along. I'm like, we can't do miss this. Cause flash is your favorite character. And so he's like, okay. And meanwhile, he's doing another podcast with one of his friends that he met through the force cast fans and stuff like that called techno retro dads, where it's two 40 something dads who both have kids that are both, um, into pop culture, talk about growing up as a child of the 70s and the 80s and sharing that content with their kids uh, now in the 21st century. It's a, it's, it's a really fun uh, show, but you know he, he got into doing that show because of the stuff that he was working on with me, and cool. we're just kind of growing this big list of shows that we do now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you guys have really complimentary personalities. So listening to you guys on shield is a lot of fun and the the kind of the different roles that, that you've each settled into that, you know, this is the part that you do and this is the part that Josh does. And Mm -hmm. it, it, it works very well. It works very well together. You, you guys have a nice formula. We, we, um, we, we have a similar outlook on the way that we want to do the shows. Um, you know, we, we don't have any kind of adversarial relationship. I know there's some, you know, some shows like setting that kind of stuff up where there's one person that's really for something or someone's really against it or the two personalities really don't get along well together and, and that makes for quote unquote entertainment. But we really, we really are fans first and we really enjoy, uh, what we're doing and talking to each other. And, and, you know, if you listen to the, Various shows like Arrow is one that comes to mind uh, with our Green Justice show. We had both really enjoyed it the first couple seasons as far as the TV show went. And then the third season was was okay, but for me personally, the fourth season really went off the rails. And uh, a lot of people, you know, online, there's been a lot of bashing of the show. Um, Josh was enjoying it more than I was, but, you know, we could we can dismiss from our feelings and talk about it in an analytical way 
um, just as a piece of entertainment and the good stuff that is there. We always try to find something positive to say about any any episode. It's we don't just come in and say that we dislike something uh, without having reasons to back it up. And of course, we respect each other's opinions, and and it's just a it's a really good partnership. And um, I I love recording stuff with him, and that's why I want to record more with him because it gives me a chance to kind of hang out with him. But you know, time permitting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, there, there's something to be said, and, and I think one of the biggest things that I appreciate as a listener of podcasts is kind of that relationship that, that you described. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's one thing to have folks who, who have different opinions. And I like to hear people who have different opinions and kind of have to justify them and talk through them. And, um, you know, I find that interesting, but there's certainly something to be said for, people talking to basically just listening to two buddies hanging out and talking about something that they enjoy. Yeah. And that's what we try to, I mean, that's kind of, I think our way behind the scenes premise. It's like, you know, we're doing a show, but if we weren't recording this, we, you know, and we had the ability to, you know, talk to each other, which of course we, we do because he lives in Colorado and I live in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what the kind of talk we'd be having. We may not, you know, we, we wouldn't have it structured like this, but you know, it's the same kind of chats I have with some of my buddies at work and stuff like that, you know, and, and, um, you know, we talk about better call Saul and I bring some of this kind of analysis, uh, to that with my friends and they're like, Oh wow. You know, I didn't see that, but you know, what about this? And I'm like, I have no idea what we're doing there. And, you know, so it's, it is. It's that water cooler kind of conversation, but you know, we try to make it fun and entertaining as well. But um, you know, hopefully, and and people do seem to respond like yourself. You know, we get a lot of feedback from listeners, and uh, with Arrow, we had someone say that they were ready to drop the show, and which is kind of sad because when you, you're not watching the TV show, you're probably not listening to the podcast that is right. talking about the TV show. I mean, that's just. That's the one downside of the shows that I do. It's like you can't just say, hey, hey, listen to this. Because without the context of the television show, if you don't watch it, it doesn't really mean anything to, to other people. But, um, you know, they wrote to us and they said, I wasn't going to watch season five of Arrow because season four was so bad. Um, but you guys were keeping such a positive attitude about stuff and, you know, what you thought was going to happen and, I stayed with it and they continued listening and they sent us that at like the conclusion of season five. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's pretty cool to know that, you know, we're actually affecting what other people are choosing to listen to as uh or, you know, to do as a form of entertainment. So that's cool. Yeah. That's really neat. Makes it feel worthwhile, you know, and just, it's a good feeling. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and that's kind of what it's about. I mean, it's, uh, aside from the big bucks that you're raking in for doing the podcast, Woo. you know, <laughs> living high on the hog from that. Yep. In, in fact, good news, um, by the way, in talking to uh, Chris and Lou, just simply for volunteering to do this show, we're going to add an extra zero to your salary. Oh, that is sweet. Yeah, yeah. Is it before or after the decimal point? Because yes. that's really where it matters. Yep. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. Okay. Absolutely. Your your wife is going to be thrilled. Yeah, yeah. It's really good news. Really good well, news. Don't tell her. She's she's out right now. <laughs> You've mentioned uh, through our discussion a lot of different things that you are a fan of. What What is your favorite fandom? 
Oh man, that's, it's, boy. You know, for a while I would, I mean, Star Wars is the one I've been with the longest. And, um, it's the one that resonates probably the most with me. Um, but it's getting so mainstream. I don't know. It, it sounds weird for me to say that. It, there's, there's so much stuff out there now that I really have to pick and choose what I want to do with, with that franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm enjoying the films enough, but, and, and with Jedi journals, of course we, we read the books and, and the comics and, and magazines and stuff like that. But, um, I don't interact with that franchise the same way that I did a decade ago. Right. Um, so it's, it's been a lot of fun, but it doesn't give me my, uh, primary and entertainment value. I think, uh, I would probably say the, the Marvel cinematic universe films are, doing that just because also they they've got the television component um they've got the shows on Netflix um you know there's something coming out whether it's whether it's on TV on Netflix on in the cinema you know there's something coming out every couple months for that yeah. and i'm really looking forward to seeing the last jedi in december but before that i've got um a, a spider-man movie a thor movie a um an inhumans tv show and i think uh, another yeah another netflix series the defenders mm-hmm. starting and potentially i think the punisher i think is also coming out at the end of this year so you know there's a lot of stuff going on with that franchise that that really engages me and um and just keeping up with some of the comic books uh for marvel and or dc right now is uh is really fun yeah, there's there's a lot out there to consume, um, whether it's in Star Wars or Marvel or any other of you know myriad interests. There's there's a lot of stuff to consume, and I think it does. It can be overwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't know if you're not in it from the start. You kind of wonder. You're trying to. You might have an interest in it, but you're trying to figure out what your point of entry is. Yeah, so that, as you I mean, don't miss something. Well, that troubles some people. That I have a collector personality as well. So um, whether it's OCD related or not, I don't know. But um, when I tend to get into something, I, I kind of maybe overdo it. Um, so I, I've been trying to work myself out of the, kind of that collecting mentality where if I don't have all the books, because at this point, like with Star Wars, like up to the, you know, up to X, I had all the books. But, oh, they just keep coming out with other stuff. It's like, you're never going to get it all. I mean, that's, right. if that's, if any advice I could give to my younger self is, you're never going to be able to get it all. Um, you can try, and, and, you know, a lot of times I think that that collecting is like really where I get the kick. Like, that's what is my endorphin high. Um, it's the hunt and the search for something. Cause once I get it, it's like, cool and i can read it or play with it or whatever consume it but all right great now it's taken up space in in my house it's like how often am i going to revisit it um and you know i've you, you know you say you don't get in from the start um with with comic books right uh you know you you can't ever have really ever been there from the start um you know no one's ever going to 
very few people were like, oh yeah, I bought, you know, Action Comics number one or I bought, you know, <laughs> right. first Fantastic Four or something like that. But, um, I've spent the last couple years, um, realizing how much of a fan of Jack Kirby's artwork I was. Mm-hmm. And so, right, yes, I cannot go and buy all these individual issues, but they've got some amazing collections in hardcover or yes. in trade paperback yeah. and from DC and Marvel. So I've been spending time trying to track those down for reasonable prices because honestly, some of the stuff that's out of print, even of a trade paperback, which is reprints to begin with, people mm-hmm. are asking crazy money for some of this stuff. And it's like, I just refuse to spend, you know, a hundred dollars for something that was 20 bucks originally. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that, uh, I get into because I'll, I'll get into a, a fandom or something I'm just interested in and I kind of dig into it. Um, you know, if I did this with my job, I'd probably be a lot further ahead, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I, the, the stuff that I work with on a day to day basis doesn't really <laughs> engage me to a level where I want to, you know, look at it in my off hours and, and find out more information about how stuff works. So, sure. um, but, uh, like one of the things that I tracked down and I've been looking for for a while on eBay, I remembered as a kid having some kind of binder, uh, uh, Marvel used to license images from comic books, um, for binders and folders Mm -hmm. and, uh, other kinds of like school supplies. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I was in first grade or kindergarten and I had something and I just remember it had this dude with a red face and like a green hood. And of course, as I got older, I realized it was the vision for mm-hmm. the Avengers. And I realized one time when I saw a cover for an Avengers issue that this was the image. Mm-hmm. They had used this comic book cover as the cover for the binder or whatever it was. So then I started doing online searches and I found that Mead used to create these, um, three ring binders. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, let me go look on eBay. And, you know, people want, again, crazy money for something that was, again, it was, I know it was a dollar or whatever at the time, but you know, it was 30, 40 years ago. So, you know, exactly. 20 bucks would be cool. So, um, I just put a search in and at one point it popped up and nobody else was bidding on it. And I got this three ring binder that was again, 40 years old, looks like it never has been used. The plastic wow. is not yellowed. It's not broken. There's no cracks in the wow. outer casing. It is beautiful. And then I use it to put, you know, like f- fan-related papers and stuff inside. Yeah. So it actually gets a use now. It's not just kind of just sitting around. So That's neat. Yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. And, and I think um, to some extent I, I have no illusions that my – collection of anything is as as extensive as yours is but kind of a similar mentality with uh with the books with the star wars books you know the the old eu what is now legends uh mm-hmm. i probably had yeah I, I could say safely i probably had somewhere 80 to 85 percent of them mm-hmm. um and That's read them a lot yeah yeah it, it, it it's a lot. It takes up a lot of space. Um, and books to me are something, they are something that I rarely get rid of. 
and certainly on rare occasion, if I do, it's either I give them to a friend or to a local library or to a sure. you know book sale or something like that. I've never gotten rid of a Star Wars book. They are one. It is something that I love. So I can't imagine, well, gosh, I spent however many hours with this book and I, I don't want to part with it. Even if it was a eh, book for me. Yeah. I, I still want to, to keep that because I had a relationship with this book for, mm-hmm. for a period of time. Uh, and it's also one of the reasons why I, while I have consumed some books um, as audiobooks, never a Star Wars book is an audiobook. And I know that to an extent, at least with some of the newer ones, I'm missing out because I know that some of the, uh, the readings and the performances are really fantastic. Yeah, that's what I hear. And, but I just, I, I don't because I like to have the, I, first of all, I like to have a physical book. And, and that to me is, is there's a certain experience that goes with that. But also in terms of keeping the book, it's almost, you know, it, it goes on a bookshelf or, or in one of the cases that I have, you know, display cases for my Star Wars stuff, which in my house is referred to as the shrine. <laughs> and and maybe it's a little narcissistic, but to me, it's like a badge. It's like, hey, look at all these books. I read those. Yeah. You know, I, I think there are maybe three Star Wars books on my shelf that I have not read I would say two of them are probably older movie novelizations, and one of them is a a work of nonfiction. Oh, that's pretty cool, then. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to consume, and the same thing with comics. When I was when I was a teenager, and I, I consumed a lot of comics, I, I read all of them. And if they came bagged, I would buy two, so I could open one and read it, and the other <laughs> would remain bagged. Um, and that was always my mentality. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I think you and I kind of have some of the same thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I'm sitting in where I do most of my recordings in my office, which is, uh, two walls of floor to ceiling bookshelves that are packed. I mean, we, we, that's the problem. I don't have enough space and I've got another five or six bookcases down in the basement, uh, with, uh, the rest of my Star Wars and and uh, trade paperback collections and stuff sure. like that. So, it's um, yeah, uh, books books have always uh, been really important. I, I I remember doing the um, the readathons and stuff for my library during the summers, and you know, just I would find a series of books that I liked um, and read, you know everything I could get on that particular series, which is why I always tried to find ones that had, you know, more than just like three books. And, and of course at growing up, they weren't publishing star Wars books more than, you know, once every year and a half, basically, uh, sure. between the movie novelization and then just the, the few Han Solo and Lando Calrissian books and Splinter. Mm-hmm. And, Eye, and that yeah. was it. So, Yeah. It's, uh, I actually recently found a, uh, a first print of Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Uh, I, I looked high and low for that. I mean, you can get them in reprints here and there, but I, I wanted uh, to the find. The hardcover one? No, no, this was the paperback. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, not, not the hardcover. I'd love to get a hardcover. Yeah, tracking down some of those. That, that was something that I, I did for a while, was tracking down some of the original vintage hardcovers and, 
not the sci-fi. So there's for collectors of the original Star Wars books, there are sci-fi book club versions, which um, would come in hardcovers, even though the book originally was released in paperback. But on a few of the books, Del Rey uh, did produce a hardcover for for mass market <clears throat> distribution, not through the book clubs. And so it's... Uh, especially with the original Star Wars novel. The original Star Wars novel came out in 1976 uh, and the end of the year in 1976, which is weird since the movie didn't come out until May, but that's where they got a lot of their initial hype from. Um, and then, of course, that book went through, I mean, I think it's on its 50-some printing now um, with myriads of covers, but it originally came out in a paperback, there was a sci-fi book club version shortly after that in either late 76 or early 77. And then Del Rey issued a hardcover edition around the time of the movie. So, like, what do you actually get? And a lot of times when you're looking, you have to know what the book is because when you're looking for online auctions, people say, oh, you're getting the hardcover book. And if you don't know either about what the dust jacket looks like or in some cases the dust jacket is missing, so if you don't know what the book looks like, um, you could be getting the Sci-Fi Book Club version, which is the more common and less expensive one, whereas the original hardcover is you know can go for hundreds of dollars. Sure. Um, and if you're you know if you're if you're lucky, like myself, you can get it on an eBay auction where somebody doesn't realize you know what they're selling because yep. you know they're doing volume book sales and nobody else realizes what they're looking at because it's not. Uh, searched or it's not you know, tagged properly. I've gotten some great buys on eBay because people just don't list stuff correctly. But you know, if there's a picture and it's a of the actual thing that you're getting, I will buy that. I don't usually buy books when they have the stock photo because I'm looking for cover variations or other special things. I want to see the actual book, and you know, a lot of times you ask somebody the question and they don't know. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, very niche portions to that. I imagine that if uh, th- there's a lot of people who are not in the know, right, right, and you know, if you're going to collect this kind of stuff, it's there's a lot of resources online, and that's what uh, Jedi Journals had originally uh, been set up to do to kind of provide that sort of resource and you know give some information uh, about either the creation or the distribution of these books and show you that, you know, there are like three or four different versions here. So make sure you realize what you're getting uh, before you get it. Right. So right. you get what you want, not just what's out there. So and you there, get ripped off. Yeah. And there's a lot out there. Yeah. What is your, so what's your all time favorite film? Wow. My all time favorite film kind of depends on the genre I guess um, I love watching The Empire Strikes Back um, but boy it's because I'm such a film fan it's it's like if I want a good comedy I'll put on Raising Arizona or Hot Fuzz or something like that uh, there, I, I don't know that I necessarily have I guess have a favorite film I have films that I can watch over and over and over again um, and just not get tired of them because of 
something about it the the way it's directed usually it's the the dialogue or the writing uh like die hard i just <clears throat> i can't get enough of that film I, yeah i mean we pull it out every christmas uh as you should uh, as you should and thank you for that jay die hard and die hard 2 are absolutely christmas films oh any any film by um uh the 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 guy that wrote Die Hard, um, I'm totally blanking it now. He directed Iron Man three as well, which took place at Christmas time. All of his films, uh, anything that he's written, takes place at Christmas time. So he's really? doing the new Predator film. Um, actually, I take that back. There are a couple films that he's written and directed that don't take place at Christmas time. But uh, like um, uh, Shane Black. And uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was one of his mm-hmm. solo films that he wrote and directed. Takes place at Christmas time. Yep. Uh, Iron Man three takes place at Christmas time. Lethal Weapon takes place at Christmas time. Yeah. Um. So that's just I never realized that. Yeah, it's kind of his thing that he does, I guess. But um, um, I'm you know there there I I have a, a on my bookshelf here I have a large collection of DVDs and and have quite an extensive film library as well. There's usually something I like about any particular film, even if it's a really really bad film that people don't like. There's something <laughs> that I like watching about it, so I'll put it in every now and again. Um, you know, even if it's just like a scene or something like that. But um, I don't know, you know, the the films that I grew up with as a kid Either, you know, any one of the original Star Wars films, uh, but Empire probably a little bit more, mm-hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, you know, some of those kind of what I term like classic films, but yeah. they're, they're even older films that, uh, I enjoy from, uh, you know, from the sixties and the, and the fifties and stuff like that too. Uh, big fan of Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of good suspense stuff that he, put in there and a lot of those films still play really well um even to uh modern eyes where you know sometimes when you go back and you watch an old an older film like i'm talking you know 50 60 years old um it can appear slow just because of the pacing uh and the editing is not what we're used to in today's quick cuts um and it it takes a little while for people i think to get acclimated to that kind of viewing but there's a lot of good stuff going on in those films where, you know, it's just like a locked off camera for like two or three minutes shooting a couple people talking. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if the writing is really good, uh, it doesn't matter what they're necessarily what they're doing with the camera. I think a lot of the stuff in the, in modern films with the, um, you know, with the editing and the moving the camera around is basically just to disguise, you know, crappy writing or crappy directing. Um, it's just a trick that people are using to, you know, keep people's attention and distract them from the whatever is lacking. Um, when you guys were discussing the Transformers film with, uh, with Chris, it's like, I, I can't even, I can't even begin to tell you what's happening in any of those movies. It's yeah. just so frenetic. And I'm, I'm a person that can watch a film and, you know, see the, the one frame that's spliced in, um, Fight Club and stuff like that. Um, I see that kind of stuff. I just I I have a higher rate of visual acuity or something like that. I see. I used to see computer monitors strobing out of the corner of my eyes, and it would really bother me when you know you see the refresh rate on them. Um, Sure. So 
I catch that kind of stuff, so um, you know, I, I, I still can't understand what's going on with that film. <laughs> <laughs> but but to the same point, it's fun to catch some of the little things that were maybe part of the production of the film that people don't notice. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that kind of the IMDb trivia page. When I'm watching a movie, oh, I I've love those. that up. I'm yeah, reading through. What you know, even if it's stuff I know, I'm like, has anyone added anything new? Have there been new stories that have come up? You know, from the production of this, or I love that kind of behind the scenes stuff. It's uh, it's something that's actually feeding my my summer project here, which is admittedly, uh, you know, as I said, when I get into something, I kind of dive in too deep, and and this is like. I'm at the point where I'm like, this is pretty stupid, and why am I doing this? But I I had decided that, I think it was when the Netflix shows came out. It probably was when Daredevil Season 2 came out. So it was only a couple years ago. I was like, this is really cool, because they're shooting it in New York, and it's not like sound stages. I mean, some of the interiors are, but they're really shooting it on the streets of New York yep. and in real buildings, and I'm like, this is really cool. And these are some really cool buildings. I wonder where this place is. Like, Oh, I recognize that place, but I wonder where this is. And so, like, I just, as I'm watching the show, I'm like, you know, I'm on the internet. You can do stuff on the internet now that you couldn't do like five years ago. And so I'm driving around virtual New York in a Google car and I'm like, oh, here's the exterior of the building that they used for this fight sequence. Oh, that's and cool. I'm like, this is pretty cool. So then I would put a, um, I, I have a Google map and I put a pin there and I put a note with it and I'm like, this is pretty cool. And then I realized, you know what? I should do this for the, for the Marvel movies. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, so I can get screenshots from the film and figure out where stuff is. And a lot of people have figured out where a lot of these places are. So yeah. I can like, you know, use their information and just kind of collect it on a map. And as I'm watching the movies, I, I realized that people have collected the easy ones. Mm-hmm. There are other, there are other locations that, aren't listed. Like people go, I don't know where this is. You know, it's an exterior of a warehouse. It's like, well, yeah, but where is that warehouse? I can find that. So I've done that. So I found <laughs> some places that, uh, a couple people I've seen online say, you know, uh, we don't know where this is like, uh, the hospital in Thor, uh, which is not really a hospital. Um, but it stood in for one. And so I, I, you know, and then I share this information back with those people and say, Hey, you can add this to your website. I found this. And then I'm like, Okay, so I'm going to get all the exteriors from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I'm going to find where they shot stuff. Okay, well, maybe I should, I'm doing the Netflix one, so I'll finish those. Um, oh, I should do Agents of Shield too, because that's part of the cinematic. Universe. <laughs> only, and then well, wait, wait, no, but they're giving me information as to where they shot some of the interiors for some of these, because they're not just building sets; they actually are shooting in real locations. Like sometimes they go to a mansion or a a, a, a club. Okay, I should put those on there. Well, if I'm going to do that, then I need to put. All of the other interior, so it's Tim, it's a rabbit is, hole. This is nuts. <laughs> I'm almost done collecting like screen grabs of all of the locations, but um, I don't know how long it's going to take for me to, you know, figure out where stuff is. But again, kind of going back to that collecting mentality, yeah, figuring out where something is is, you know. I'm searching around and I'm getting a little endorphin rush and it, all it is doing is costing me some time, some free time, <laughs> but I'm putting, you know, I'm basically, I'm creating a document that can live on uh, beyond me and be out there to, you know, provide information to other people that, that want to know this. Um, yeah. 
the 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 recent one that I found that uh, was really troubling me was um, uh, Agents of Shield season four. They had a uh, uh, a building that was used for the interiors of the Triskelion uh, mm-hmm. when Hydra ran it, and it was yeah. beautiful, like futuristic architecture with like three levels of stairs and just lots of glass and metal and. I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah, very contemporary modern built, uh, a very contemporary office building. Right, right. Yeah. And so they shoot in Los Angeles and in the, you know, in area around Los Angeles. That's the whole deal with TV shows. If they shoot in an area, they try to stay within a certain limit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this does not look like LA architecture because it's, first off, it's huge inside. So that means it's got to be further out. Like it's got to be in a newer area and, I had no idea how to go about figuring out where this was. And I just started Googling, you know, modern architecture. And I'm looking at my screen grabs. And I happened to notice in one scene, they had a sign that said, like, bus arrivals in the background. Whereas in another shot, they had covered it up with some signage, you know, for in-universe signage. And I'm like, hmm, bus arrivals. So I started Googling stuff with that. And I found it is a new travel terminal in Anaheim that is providing bus and rail service. And it's this giant, you know, like hangar looking thing. And they shot in the lobby area of that. It was, and that was such a rush to finally figure that out because I could actually get some photos from the inside and I'm like, oh yeah, this is totally it. (laughs) Because people, you know, are taking photos. And so you just go to Google and say, show me the inside of this, you know, show me photos related to this. And it's, Google is so awesome. <laughs> That's cool. That's really. Have you found that like different shows and different movies are? Sorry about my dog. Uh, have you found different shows and different movies are uh, like using the same locations? Um. Yeah. They. There are a few locations that do get reused. Um. The Netflix shows, of course, are all shoot in New York, so they are, there are certain areas that they use. Um, and Shield shoots in the Los Angeles area, so there's a lot of uh, stuff that areas that they reuse, but they're pretty clever not to reuse the same location unless they can make it look different. So far, at least what I've found, um, and I haven't done an, an extensive uh, list yet, but um, with the Marvel movies, uh, the, the site that is used the most is Bourne Woods uh, in the UK, which was the woods in Captain America 1. Uh, the woods in the beginning of Age of Ultron, as well as the woods in Thor the Dark World. And it's also the woods that were used in The Phantom Menace. Hmm. Um, it's, it's just, and there are, what's, what's also cool is they do film in a lot of places that other shows and things film in. So sometimes when you're looking for architecture, you go look at what other people are looking at for other shows or, you know, locations from other shows because people track that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, you know, it might, and, or maybe you're watching another TV show and you go, oh, my God, that's the same location that was on S.H.I.E.L.D. this week. And you figure out where they shot the other show and then you can figure out where they shot the show you're interested in. So, interesting. Um, yeah, there is a finite list of places, but I was trying to track down a, uh, a mansion and I knew it was in Beverly Hills from S.H.I.E.L.D., and I had the exterior pictures of it, but they didn't give a uh, address. So, again, I just kind of systematically started working on Google Maps, going down this street and then up that street. And I found it after about thirty percent of my search uh, over the over what is Beverly Hills. So, <laughs> not too bad. 
Oh, that's cool. That's a neat project. It, it really grounds a lot of these shows and movies, and you get that opportunity to kind of see the areas that they worked within and, and that kind of stuff. That's that's cool. That's well, I think want to travel to some of these places. Um, the the thing that surprises me the most. Um, because again, I love filmmaking as a process and the use of special effects. So the opening of Captain America Civil War takes place in Lagos, Nigeria at the Institute for Infectious Disease and Control or something like that. Yes. Well, all the exteriors were shot in San Juan, Puerto Rico. So the exteriors of the buildings that uh, Sam Wilson is standing on and where the, the truck is. But they did all of their location shoots in Atlanta. And the building is in Atlanta. But they seamlessly, using special effects and other film trickery, make you think that the building that they're having this big fight at and the little um, uh, marketplace from the uh, opening shots of the film, they make you think they're all in Nigeria. But sure. they were both shot in downtown Atlanta. Interesting. It's, it's incredible. And you put the pictures up and you're, there's no doubt that you're looking at the building that's in Atlanta. Yeah. But the stuff they do and the way they cut it and just the things they can do with special effects now, even on a TV budget for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., just mm -hmm. blows me away. So I, I, it's, just a, it's just a testament to the filmmakers that when I watch those films, I totally believe that we are where they say we are. Mm -hmm. And then later I like going in and saying, okay, now I know you tricked me, but like, where did, we, where were we actually? So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's really neat. Yeah. The, the, those exterior shots that they do, um, I, I, a couple months ago had the opportunity to travel down uh, a little South of Atlanta. Uh, and and uh, there's so much film production now that's going down, uh, that's going on in, in that area. Oh Yeah. A lot of the Marvel films are being done down there, and uh, there's there's one particular town where uh, The Walking Dead is filmed. Yeah, and yeah. actually took some time. Uh, it wasn't far down the road; it was 15 minutes down the road from where I was working, uh, and went into that town. and, and You walk down the town, and you, you walk down you know whatever the main street is of the town, and you you get this vibe. You're looking at architecture. You're looking at buildings, and you're like, "Yeah, I've I've been here before. I've seen this." Yeah. You know that the signage is different, and they might have managed to make you know light posts disappear in the show or something like that. But you you get that feeling that you've yeah. been there, and then interestingly enough, you get to the end of that street, and boom, there's Alexandria. They built it, you know, full size, life size. Here's the walls. Here's this, you know, sub development that was <laughs> that was, uh, you know, that's been featured for the last couple seasons in in, in the show, and um, really, really, just you know, mind blowing what they've done. I mean, they built a full film set in the in the town, and they yeah. use the town for for so much for establishing shots and all sorts of other things. Really, really neat. Well, it's, it's just amazing the small stuff that they they go to the the level of detail for things that people probably wouldn't see, except crazy people like me that freeze frame. Um, Daredevil was doing a shoot, you know, they're they're like in Brooklyn, but they're trying to make it look like they're in Midtown mm -hmm. or over on Manhattan, and they actually changed the street signs 
because of stuff that was said in the show. Sure. And and so it's like that street signs are great because when you can freeze frame and go, oh, I know exactly where they filmed this. But then you go look at that intersection and that's not what's there. And you're like, why would you guys go to that level of detail? But, you know, that's that's what they're doing. They're just being creative like that. So That's neat. There's a lot of uh, films I found. Um, if you've ever been up to Newport, Rhode Island, where they have all these uh, old uh, Gilded Era mansions. Mm-hmm. The both exteriors and interiors of several of these mansions have been used for a number of films and, and TV shows. One, they get huge wide open spaces if they need that, but then also if they need something a little more opulent and they need something essentially as a mansion or you know some other. Uh, very ornate space like that. Yeah. Uh, I know one of them in particular was um, uh, True Lies, one of my favorite movies. Oh, I love True Lies. Yeah. yeah. The ballroom scenes were done in this one particular mansion. Uh, and it was just cool. It was like, you know, walking in there and I'm looking through the little, you know, pamphlet that they give you and they say, oh, yeah, you know, here's the, here's, you know, we, we have a history of, of, of doing film production here and we've done this movie and that movie and, Oh, hey, cool! They did True Lies here. And then you walk into the room and you kind of look around, and it's like, yeah, I, I can, I can feel that. I can definitely <laughs> feel that from the movie. You know, they obviously they change a couple things here and there, but it's just, it's so neat. It's, it's, it, really it cool. makes it an immersive experience. Then, um, especially then, if you go back to the movie, it's like, oh, hey, I, I was in that room. Yeah, yeah, always cool. I, I, yeah, I just, I, I love that kind of stuff where you realize that. Oh, wait, I'm standing on a movie set and of course you know driving around just la you know there's so many you know pretty much every part of los angeles has been filmed at some point so um that's i just remember that was what was cool about being out there and i never really appreciated it while i was out there and now it's one of those things where it's like gosh i'd love to go back and visit uh this again because like it was always there and i could see it whenever i wanted to but i never wanted to and now yeah now you do <laughs> now i can't get to it and i want to yeah yeah so yeah well, let's see. We've been uh, we've been going for uh, about an hour fifteen here, a little over. A uh, couple things quick, I think, to wrap us up. Uh, Jay, what's your favorite food? Oh, my favorite food. Um, pretty much any kind of Mexican food. I'm really I, I, I'm always craving tacos or chimichangas or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, I like a good chimichanga. It's, it's very, you, you, very, you, very you take something food. good and you deep fry it and it makes it better. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Though I did have fried pickles the other night, which I'd never had before. I, they, they went out like I completely expected them to. It's, you know, it's fried. It <laughs> doesn't really much taste like a pickle anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did, did you listen to the, uh, the promo that I did for I did. random chatter? Okay. So, you know, that one of the questions posed in the promo was, does jovial J like broccoli? Yeah, so it's 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 more complicated than that. Oh gosh. Because I don't like the tops of the broccoli, I only like the stems. Um but my dad would eat the tops. No, my mom would eat the tops <laughs> and I would eat the the stems. Okay. But I've I've become less picky like if it's in, you know, a uh, pasta dish or something like that, I'll I'll eat it. But I don't know, just the all the little the the tree parts on the top, it just it tastes weird and it all feels weird in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> hey, I, I actually appreciate that there's a, a 
multifaceted answer to that question. It, it makes the question even more meaningful then. So that's, that's good. Jay, what's your, what's your next project? What's, what's coming up here? What do you get? What, what, how are you going to entertain us? Dance monkey dance. Uh, well, like I, I'm pretty busy doing this, uh, filming location thing right now, but, uh, there's, there's people probably can figure this out, but we're not quite ready to announce it, but there is a new podcast that, that Josh and I will be doing come fall 2017 here of, uh, of an upcoming, uh, uh, comic book related series and um we are looking to uh we're, we're, we're kind of getting the finishing touches put together on all the different aspects of it and making sure that we have the appropriate you know communication tools to uh to share it with the fans and stuff out there but uh we'll probably be announcing it um during the summer hiatus on our on one of our podcasts so uh you might have to listen to all three of our podcasts to hear about it but uh, we only do three episodes during the summer for each show anyway, and they're not geared to any one specific episode. So, you know, on Arrow, we're going to be talking about Green Arrow-related stuff, but, um, you know, what we hope to see in the next season and maybe talk a little bit about what happened in the current season. So just have to stay tuned. Absolutely. Stay tuned for that. Is there anything uh, – have you considered sharing your location – project in a podcast format is 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 wow. there anything there because just the stuff that you were talking about was really interesting in terms of your your research and the hunt for it and i think there might even be more that you like you know what's the history of the building and has it been used for other films and i i don't know i don't know is, oh, it, have you given it oh, any wow thought? those are great things hang on let me get some notes here. <laughs> please do going on this please do um <laughs> I hadn't thought about sharing it as a podcast, but I am thinking, uh, so I've, the, the map that I've made is, is open. If people go into the Google Maps area and, and search for Marvel Cinematic Universe, I'm sure you're going to find a lot, lots of them, but, um, the, the one that's the most complete is mine. Um, I don't know how you differentiate from, from what you find, but I will be putting it onto a website, whether that's my personal website or, uh, random chatter at some point because I've got a lot of notes and other things because there are locations, of course, that I can't find um, that I really want to help have crowdsourced. Mm -hmm. um, I read it was great. I was looking for a location. So I went to the uh, subreddit for Brooklyn and said, hey, guys, um, I'm pretty sure this is in your neighborhood. It looks like the architecture um, and it's a police station in the show, but I'm pretty sure it's a church. Um, and does anyone know what it is? And within like three hours, somebody's like, oh yeah, that's right across from this park here, blah, blah, blah. Here's the link. And I'm like, thank you so much. That's so, so cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing with social media. So, I'm yeah. sorry. I was gonna say just crowdsourcing the rest of the stuff is, uh, the way to go. And the, the hardest thing is that some of the movies are, you know, coming on 10 years old now, they're nine years old for Iron Man. And mm -hmm. there are still a couple locations I haven't found in that. And the thing is, a lot of locations don't exist anymore. Some locations oh. don't exist anymore today. And, you know, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that was shot just like two years ago. Sure. So, um, you know, there's always buildings that are being demolished or changed around in a way that don't exist. And Google Maps is great for that because you have a historical um, setting on some of the maps. Um, mm -hmm. Other times you just don't. And you need someone on the ground in that area that can say, for certain, yes, this is where it was, or no, or maybe it's over here. 
Yeah. That's neat. I'm That's really interesting. Yeah. You have a friend from Long Island, so I'm like, hey, so I'm in New York. I'm looking for the Spider-Man location. I'm thinking it's somewhere here, but because they say it's Queens. Does this look like Queens to you? And he's like, yeah, you would need to be up higher. And so I go up higher, and I'm like, oh, yeah, there it is. So Yeah. Yeah, in the, in the big cities, it's it's tough. I mean, not only is there just the sheer volume of things to look through, but you have different neighborhoods that were built at different times, so you have different architectures, and uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to look at. There's a lot but to look cool. at. I get it. I'm getting to know a lot of these areas. I'm getting to know Atlanta and its environs, New York. I'm looking around all sorts of other cool places in LA um, just to you know see the the breadth and depth of uh of stuff like that so yeah there will be uh there will be ways to see these on um online at some point uh, in the near future oh cool I, I look forward to it i'll definitely check it out on uh, on google maps cool that that sounds really neat uh you just with all the mention of new york city are you uh planning on going to comic-con i am not i did that i don't know four or five years ago and it was pretty crazy at that point and i from what i hear it just it's getting worse it's like san diego comic-con so i'll let uh i'll let the other good folks on the network uh check it out and report back with all the the cool stuff that's going on i will we'll be sure to i'll, I'll be in the craziness for a couple of days all right sounds cool well jay thanks a lot for uh giving us some time on uh on a saturday morning i understand you're going to see wonder woman this afternoon yep Getting ready to go see that with my son, so I'm uh, I'm excited to see what uh, DC's got. Um, Marvel's been really knocking out of the park, and I hear DC's done a good job on this. So hopefully, this is a step in the right direction for them. So, well, the the buzz has been good. Everybody that I know has that has seen it liked it. So, yeah, it is definitely a good movie. Uh, I, I very much enjoyed it. We went to uh, I went with the family to see it last weekend. So, cool. Yeah. Great. All right. Man, I'm sorry we didn't have time for you to get to the other questions like what's my mother's maiden name, uh, what was my first street, or the name of my first pet. I was hoping to get <laughs> back to those. But maybe next time. Yeah, yeah, maybe next time I'll be able to access all your accounts. Uh, or I, I mean, get, get good information from you. Right. right. Yeah. Just the information, I understand. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Jay, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I, I certainly enjoyed chatting with you. I'm sure that uh, that your listeners uh, enjoyed getting to know a little bit more about you and the stuff that you've done and, and the stuff that you're currently involved in. So uh, yeah. it was a great time. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Yeah. Uh, where, where, where can folks find you? Uh, well, folks can find me at the um, at the Random Chatter Network on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. case files, like you mentioned, um, Green Justice, an Arrow podcast, or Scarlet Velocity, a Flash podcast, and our upcoming podcast is whatever that will be. Um, you can also find me monthly at forcecast.net on Jedi Journals, which is a podcast to get dedicated to uh, Star Wars comics, books, and magazines, basically any kind of literature. And uh, if you want to find me online, you can see me on Twitter at JovialJ, where I post a bunch of just weird, random unrelated stuff, amusing things sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Jay. Thanks, Tim. I hope you enjoyed the second episode of Random Chatter Interviews featuring Jovial Jay Shepard. Be sure to catch him on his many podcasts, including Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Case Files, Scarlet Velocity, and Green Justice, all on the Random Chatter Network, as well as Jedi Journals on TheForce.net and RebelScum.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at JovialJ. 
You can find the Random Chatter Network online at randomchatter.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash randomchatternetwork, and on Twitter at randomchatter. Send emails to randomchatter at randomchatter.com. You can find me, Qui-Gon Tim, on Twitter at Qui-Gon Tim. That's Tim with two M's. If you like what we're doing here at Random Chatter, be sure to spread the word. Tell your friends and leave us reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. We also appreciate some financial support to help us keep throwing great content down your throats. Visit patreon.com slash randomchatter to show us some love. Even a dollar a month gets you access to our Slack channel, where you can hang out all day every day with hosts, staff, and other fans. The music featured on Random Chatter Interviews is Kaboom by I Fight Dragons. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned on the Random Chatter feed for more Random Chatter Interviews coming at you all summer long.